This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. You're listening to audio from one of our third Thursday webinars on Parkinson's research. In these webinars, expert panelists and people with Parkinson's discuss aspects of the disease and the foundation's work to speed medical breakthroughs. Learn more about the third Thursday webinars at michaeljfox.org slash webinars. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Brian Fisk. I'm Senior Vice President of Research Programs here at the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research, and I'm going to be your moderator for our discussion today. All right, so let's get started. Um, So uh, what are we going to really talk about today? And so we're going to be talking about what is really an important issue for people with Parkinson's disease, and that is um, uh, certain symptoms called gait and balance problems, or sometimes you might hear gait, balance, and postural instability problems. Um, These can occur with Parkinson's disease, and they really represent some real challenges uh, for people who, who struggle with Parkinson's. So we're going to be talking today about some of the what well, what these symptoms actually are. We're going to talk about some of the current treatments uh, people use to try to address these symptoms. And then importantly, we're going to talk a little bit about sort of, you know, gaze into the future about some of the approaches people are working on to try to better address uh, these really problematic symptoms. Um, But but before we do that, uh, let me introduce our panel. Um, So uh, we have a really great uh, couple of uh, guests today who are going to help us uh, sort of unpack and walk through this this issue. And I'm going to start first with with Anne uh, Kloos, who is a physical therapist and a professor at Ohio State University. Um, I also say that she just uh, recently received a grant from the Fox Foundation on some work to do uh, to look at gait issues in Parkinson's. So we're excited about our ability to work with her on that. Um, And hopefully we'll have time later on the call today and she'll give us a little more information about that project. Uh, Hi, Anne. Hi. I'm I'm excited to be here to share some of my knowledge and experience about um, gait and balance problems in people with Parkinson. Very great. Um, our uh, additional panelist is actually Israel Robledo. Uh, he's actually from my home state of Texas, uh, and he's also a member of the Fox Foundation's Patient Council. Uh, he's actually been a really great advisor to us on, on some of the funding programs we've, we've launched and supported uh, to try to address issues of gait and balance. And he's really uh, here today. He's going to talk to us about uh, uh, really his own personal experience with this issue and uh, and some of the challenges he, he's faced and how he deals with that. So thanks uh, for joining us today, Israel. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for letting me join and uh, to be part of this. Great, great. So, uh, all right, so let's get started. Um, so let's start first with just, again, understanding and kind of level setting and making sure everybody understands what are the symptoms we're actually talking about here when we talk about gait, balance, and posture. Uh, so, Anne, could you just kind of walk us through these symptoms? You know, what, are, what really are they? Kind of how common are they in Parkinson's disease? And sort of from your perspective, if you could just kind of walk us through this. Um, in terms of um, the gait, gait um, the problems that you usually see um, are problems of, um, in general, with walking with a slower speed. The steps tend to become very short and shuffling, and there's a, a reduced amount of arm swing. And in later stages, some of the individuals will report that they have freezing of gait. And this is um, commonly reported as a feeling as if their feet are glued to the floor. And there's lots of different triggers that can make people have these freezing episodes. Um, Sometimes it's whenever they start to try to walk when they're turning. 
uh, when they're going through a tight place, such as going through a doorway or they're in a big crowd of people, or it might be when they're getting near to a target, like they're getting near to a chair. And it's estimated that about 50% of people with Parkinson's disease have freezing of gait in the later, more advanced stages of the disease. Um, balance is also affected in Parkinson's, and it leads to a lot of unsteadiness and postural instability. When the person's in standing, they may, may be swaying more than normal, and also it, it can affect their dynamic activities, such as trying to stand up from a chair or reaching to pick up an object from the floor. Um, this, this balance control problems can lead to falls. And although falls are typically not, not seen in the early stages, they do become more prevalent as the disease progresses into middle stages. And approximately 70% of people living in the community with Parkinson's have fallen in the previous years. And we know that people who have fallen two or more times in the previous year are very likely to fall again in the next three months. There's a significantly higher incidence of limb fractures in people with Parkinson's also, and this is probably a lot due to the gait and balance problems. And it's been shown that about 27% of people uh, experience a hip fracture within 10 years of their diagnosis. Um, postural changes also occur. And the typical kind of change in terms of posture with Parkinson's is a stooped type of posture. Um, the person tends to lean more forward with the trunk, and there's an increased amount of bending of the hips and the knees. And also, along with that, there is a decreased reflexive response to balance disturbances um, so that you often see it might take a person with Parkinson's multiple steps before they're able to correct a loss of balance. So these changes, this forward leaning and um, the lack of automatic responses to balance disturbances, again, put people at a higher risk for falling. And lastly, I'd just like to say that cognitive changes also are known to affect people's ability to divide their attention when they're doing like more than one thing. We call this dual tasking, say, if you're doing two things at one time, like walking and you're trying to talk to somebody or you're um, doing a second task. And uh, we know that many people with Parkinson's have difficulty with that doing sometimes two things at once or multiple things, and that can also contribute to their gait and balance problems. Thanks. Thanks, Anne. Yeah. Yeah. I think that last point is really important. I know my team and I, a lot of the proposals that we look at, um, you know, we really appreciate just kind of how complex the brain systems are that control all these different sort of gait, balance, and posture systems and how something like your ability to, as you said, sort of multitask and think, you know, can really sort of uh, play havoc on some of that when, when, when they're not working as, as well as they should. Um, Israel, I wonder if you could, you know, now that we sort of have the sort of, you know, the more formal definitions of some of these symptoms and issues, could you kind of bring it down to the personal level and talk a little bit about 
what of these symptoms, you know, are most impactful on your sort of daily experience with Parkinson's and sort of, you know, what, what is most troubling for you? Sure. Um, for me, the, uh, the freezing of gait is, is the most difficult because it, it's, it comes with no, no, at any time, it, it can come at any time, but the issue with it is it can be embarrassing if people are around you and it can be kind of, um, it can be a lonely feeling because people may may look at you, and even if they don't, sometimes you feel like you're not able to do things that normal people do. Uh, in my case, I've had issues with some falls, and it's what's interesting about falls is that most of the time when people fall, they'll they're able to catch on to something or hold on to something to to stop the fall. When in my instances, I I'm literally walking and all of a sudden I'm on the floor thinking, what, what just happened? And it's, it's, it can, it can give you worries, you know, over a long period of time because you have no idea what's going on. And the other thing for me is I call it the walking soldier start. I I lift my leg to, to walk and I literally have to just flip around, flip my leg to the sides so that I can catch my balance because Initiating the walk is just not there, and um, it, and that that's something that I deal with more and more. Uh, and I think with m- many people with Parkinson's, the enclosed uh, uh, enclosed areas, I find myself doing the shuffle, trying to get myself out of those areas. And and in my case, the ever present doorway that uh, tends to give me lots of bruises. Right, right. Uh, that the doorway mm-hmm. example, I think, is important. And could you explain a little bit what 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 Israel means by that? Uh, you know, when we talk about people sort of freezing in, in, indoors, what what's kind of going on? Do we think? Well, um, there there is some evidence that um, perhaps people with Parkinson's might have some changes in their perception, where they they kind of are seeing things as being more narrow or more close to them than they actually are. And so this might be causing them then when they get near something that seems a little bit tight or narrow that they just have this response where they are basically kind of frozen and can't, you know, keep keep walking forward. Um, so there definitely are some strategies that have been shown to help people a lot with those freezing episodes. Um, it seems to be a problem a lot of times of shifting your weight so that just to get yourself going and so rocking sort of back and forth um, to kind of get some shifting of the weight and at the same time sort of thinking take a big step um, can sometimes get people going again. Or another strategy that works really well is just to step backwards first and then forward. And just by doing that, again, it's it's a weight shift, and that helps the person then to be able to go forward. But for instance, like with a with a doorway, just in general, you know, when people get frozen, it sometimes helps to, like, look ahead towards a target that they're trying to go towards. So if you're trying to get through a doorway and you can't get through it, try to focus on something that's past the doorway that you're, you know, trying to go towards. And um, and at the same time, you should be thinking, oh, I want to take a big step um, and uh, – and even sometimes people count 
just counting, you know, steps it, or even singing little, you know, it could be a singing a song with a beat or something that kind of is a cue to get the person stepping and continue to step as they're going through the doorway instead of stopping um, might be helpful. Go ahead, Israel. Sorry. I was going to say, another thing that I, I know that for me has been an issue is not only in entering the doorway, but actually hitting the the door frame. And I've often shared that I my vocabulary went way higher in, in number <laughs> when I started getting uh, those episodes because I was bruised on my sh- shoulders and on my elbows every time I walked through the doorway. And I was like, it wasn't a good vocabulary. That needless yeah, to say. Yeah, it was your four-letter vocabulary. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, great. Well, it's a good segue. Why don't we move over on to actually talking about again some of the ways, and, and 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 you were great in talking about some of these approaches. Some of the ways we can address these symptoms today, and so maybe some of the approaches uh, doctors and and people with Parkinson's are using to try to kind of address these. And you know, I've kind of categorized them here and sort of broadly around kind of medications, exercise, physical therapy, and then I think what you were just getting at, uh, some of the tools and tricks you can use uh, when you're dealing with a freezing episode or something like that. And do you want to maybe just walk a little bit through again, sort of broadly, what are the different strategies uh, doctors try to use today? Um, okay. In terms, well, with medicine, I mean, I think the, the gold standard now is levodopa. And definitely in terms of people who are on uh, Cinemed or some combination where levodopa, carbidopa, uh, basically um, it does improve. It definitely does improve gait uh, for many people, um, especially gait speed and, you know, the the length of their steps are improved. Um, in terms of levodopa and balance, though, um, they find kind of mixed results. I mean, some people might have some improvements, but others actually get worse on some uh, some types of balance, uh, particularly static, just standing balance. Um, however, it does levodopa does seem to help with dynamic balance. So when you're walking or doing some movement, so. That is pretty much the gold standard. Um, of course, there's a, a variety of other medications that are out there. Um, and, you know, that is something that is up to the physician or neurologist to kind of work with the person with Parkinson and find the best combination of medications that's going to maximize the amount of function they have. So it, it sometimes takes a lot of, you know, adjustments and things to find that. But, um that's what error, yeah. yeah, that's what needs to be done with medication. Um, n- now, in terms of other other non-medication type uh, interventions, I would say physical therapy would be at the top of that. Um, I definitely there's a lot of evidence that suggests that people do improve when they have therapy um, in terms of gait and balance. Um, I really want to emphasize to everyone out there who has Parkinson's that if you haven't seen a physical therapist, that I would highly recommend it. Um, It's the sooner you can get in to a therapist, the better. Um, What the therapist can do is to um, do an assessment, a thorough assessment of their uh, function and 
be able to um, assess which types of exercise interventions or um, other types of interventions that can actually help the person to maximize their performance. So what we know is that one type of exercise just doesn't fit all everyone, that exercise needs to be very much individualized to whatever the impairments of that person are. So, you know, we have to, a physical therapist can help sort that out. Right. Are there are there particular types of uh, certain type of physical therapists you should look for if you're looking for a physical therapist? You know, there are movement disorder specialists is for doctors, but is there sort of a version of that for physical therapists? Yes, I would highly kind of recommend. Yeah. Um, there are people who have they are board certified in neurologic physical therapy. And in general, these people then have really specialized in working with people with neurologic disorders. Um, you can go on to the American Physical Therapy Association website, and they um, do have listings where you can find people, perhaps in your area, who are these neurologic specialists. So that would be what I would first recommend. Um, but there are also people who maybe are not certified, but who have a lot of experience working with individuals with neurologic disorders. And um, so the thing would be to find a therapist who has has that kind of experience. Right, right, right. Israel, what, um, what about you? What kinds of approaches have you used or are currently using to try to deal with some of these symptoms? For me, the most important part of my Parkinson's journey has been staying physically active and mentally active, um, which, is, which has helped uh, quite a bit. So, so when I do have those issues with freezing and of gait and, and balance problems, I know that there are some things that are going on that are beyond my control at this time. Um, I wanted to touch back on the medication part that Anne mentioned. I think... That's an important aspect of when you visit with your doctor, if you can list the top two or three things that bother you so you can have a good conversation within the visit that's scheduled so that you're not leaving there and saying, oh, my gosh, I forgot to ask this or oh, I should have said this. I think with medications, especially if, if you're not sure that it's that it's supposed to help or, or you, you think it might help with balance, that those are the times to ask because once you're gone, it's, it's very difficult to, to, to have those questions answered uh, in the long term. Uh, so that's, that's an, yeah, I think that's an point. important part of, of this. But, but yeah, yeah, just exercise for me has been, has been yeah. the most, uh, most important. Right. For, for the um, door, doorway challenge you mentioned, is any of the tricks that, uh, that Anne mentioned before, were, were any of those ones you've tried to kind of get yourself going again, um, getting through that doorway? Looking, for, looking ahead is, is mm -hmm. and, and what's so interesting is when I've mentioned the bruising, it's, it's almost like a magnetic force that brings you to each side. I, uh, literally, I, I know people have said they look like sailor, drunk sailors when they're walking, and that's you, you can try to hold mm -hmm. your elbows close to your body, and you get to that doorway, and they kind of just 
fall uh, pop wow. outward. Yeah. It's it's the weirdest thing. It's uh, if, if you could have somebody videotape that it, when it happens, you're thinking how how can that be? But it's Parkinson's is so complex and and it just reaches the whole gamut of, of, of issues. But yeah, gait and balance, especially because of the effects that it could have on falls and other issues resulting from that. And, and did you have a comment? I'd... Yeah, I would totally agree. And one thing, um, in terms of medications too, like if I always advise, like if there is some sudden change in a person's function and they're just not functioning as well in you know a relatively short period of time, or um, they're spending a lot of their day where they're feeling like they really can't do the things they want to do, that would be a good time to go and see your physician and talk to the physician and find out if there's anything they can do in terms of adjusting medications to make that better. Yeah, really important point. So um, so we've talked a little bit about sort of what we can try to do today and some of the, the approaches people are using. Let's, let's kind of look a little bit into the future and sort of think about some of the approaches um, that are sort of being looked at as potential solutions for this um, uh, this symptom set of symptoms. And so I've listed a, a few categories here, and I'll kind of just walk quickly through these, and then I may have uh, Anne sort of touch on a couple of these. But in um, I think there was actually a question from, from, from one of the uh, uh, listeners about uh, the role of deep brain stimulation, sort of brain stimulation approaches around gait. And certainly there's um, current deep brain stimulation approaches, and we can talk a little bit more about that. But um, people have also been looking at that concept, I think, of brain stimulation and different parts of the brain just to try to address some of these uh, issues of gait and balance. And, you know, sort of the brain, of course, is this very complex organ and trying to figure out where where to sort of stimulate, where, where you can kind of do this type of approach in the brain to try to address these gait issues has been something that people have been looking at for, for a couple of years now and trying to figure out how to optimize that. Um, uh, Medication-wise, you know, we talked a little bit about this idea of the li- potential link between sort of thinking problems and, and gait and, and balance and posture issues, and there's actually been some work and some, some trials, and including some, some work the Fox Foundation has funded, to try to actually test some of these drugs. And there's, a, for example, some drugs that are currently used in, in, in Alzheimer's disease to deal with some of the, the, the cog- cognitive and thinking problems. They're trying to actually test those in people with Parkinson's as well to see if they can, by improving the potentially improving some of the uh, cognitive issues that uh, Parkinson's uh, people with Parkinson's also suffer, could that actually help with some of the, the gait problems that they have? And so, you know, again, this is still kind of exploratory, but uh, there are a number of groups that are trying to look at that as well. Uh, there are a lot of devices, and we'll talk about this more in a moment too. Uh, I think a lot of different technologies and approaches and devices people are developing to try to kind of address the gate problem and the, and the balance problem as it's happening. And, and so there are a lot of different uh, ideas and, and Anne sort of mentioned some of the tricks around getting through the doorway and, and counting and things like that. But there are devices that can also, I think, uh, potentially help by providing visual cues or auditory cues or different types of cues to, to try to help, sort of trick your brain into, into restarting and kind of uh, making that, that movement hopefully a little bit a little bit easier and dealing with some of those issues. And, and again, as we mentioned with uh, cognition, even just some of the cognitive training uh, approaches that people are looking at. So there's kind of a host of different ways people are looking at either trying to uh, use sort of existing approaches or sort of novel medications to try to get at this problem uh, of how to treat gait and balance. But, but Anne, I wanted to maybe go back to the, to the brain stimulation uh, stuff and wonder if you could kind of t- talk a little bit about 
about some of that. Um, actually, we had a question from, um, I think, Robert, uh, who's on the call, and he was just curious about the impact DBS has on gate and whether we're sort of learning anything new there. Are there some, is there any optimization that's happening in that space? I wonder if you could comment on that. Sure. Um, definitely, there's a lot of research ongoing about deep brain stimulation right now. And um, one thing I do want to mention, though, is not everybody is a candidate for that. Um, it's typically people who are not adequately controlled with their medications, and you still have to be responsive to levodopa in order to be typically to be a candidate for it. But Definitely, um, they have found that deep brain stimulation, particularly in the areas of the subthalamic nucleus and the globus pallidus, which are both within the basal ganglia, um, that often um, they do bring on improvements in um, people's gait, particularly like improving gait speed and stride length um, so that people can walk better. Um, it, it, again, though, you know, not everybody exactly has the same responses, the same levels of response. Some may get more of a benefit than others. Um, and in terms of they've also looked at how DBS can affect um, balance. And in that, in that area, um, it's kind of been equivocal sorts of uh, findings. Um, some people do tend to be better. Uh, other people, though, actually, some get worse in terms of their balance. Um, so, you know, that's an area there's still continuing research, and they're trying to find, you know, the best, uh, the best stimulation parameters, the best areas um, to be able to get the best effect for the person. Right, right, right. So. Um... Israel, any any thoughts here? I mean, I, I know some of these are emerging and, and not necessarily approved treatments, but any types of approaches, maybe even devices that that you're sort of looking at or or you're excited about as as that could be potentially helpful for you? Yes, um, I, I, the most exciting um, devices uh, for me are the the wearables and. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily just any wearable, because there are some that are cumbersome that they're they're looking at developing. But I, for me, I, I'm when I'm looking at different ways to help people, whether it's reviewing a grant or or anything, it's how feasible is it, how accessible is it to the wider community, and is it something that can be used simply without much to do about anything else, because a person who has those issues doesn't have the the ability many times to to wear a cumbersome device. There are some devices that I like I said that, that are very uh, very promising for me, and I just look forward to to seeing those those results come out from from those studies and and see how we can help many more people. So um, so that, that's that's an exciting area for me. Great. Great. So, yes, yeah, so maybe it's a good then segue, and we'll talk a little bit about. So, we, uh, the Fox Foundation, last year we launched uh, kind of an interesting new funding program. Uh, it wasn't the first time that we focused on uh, funding uh, research and gait and balance issues, but this program in particular was was nice because it really was tr really focusing on on approaches that we felt were a little bit more near term to 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 to, to helping people, and uh, really with the goal of looking for devices and sort of existing. 
kind of existing approaches that could be quickly tested in people uh, who have gait issues and to see if they actually are, you know, show any benefit with the idea that uh, if they do show some benefit, we can hopefully very quickly kind of move them into practice. And so it was an interesting program for us. We got a ton of really interesting, great uh, proposals. I know the team here was, uh, you know, had a really uh, a, a good time kind of looking through them and learned a lot about about this issue. Um, uh, Israel, you was we were really thankful to have you as, uh, as one of the reviewers on our committee, too. It was really helpful to have your perspective, uh, as you just sort of talked about as well. But um, we're excited that we were able to, through uh, through this process, we identified about eight projects, uh, totaling probably about $3 million of, 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 of research that we're going to be funding. Uh, we'll, in the next couple of week, uh, weeks or so, we'll be able to announce more formally the, the projects that we uh, did identify through that program. But um, just to give you kind of a broad flavor, you know, I think they ranged across the board. We had a number of projects that were looking at different types of exercise and sort of physical therapy approaches. Approaches. Uh, we had a number of proposals um, um, looking at sort of different types of assistive devices. Um, we had a number of uh, projects that are kind of using these um, uh, what we call these sort of queuing systems. We talked about that briefly before. The idea of providing some sort of visual or a, or a auditory or even a tactile sort of touching vibratory type of cue uh, as a way to help sort of uh, deal with uh, uh, someone's uh, gait or balance issues. Uh, even kind of a cool one looking at, you know, use of virtual reality. Can we use sort of virtual reality approaches to kind of help people navigate the world around them and, and maybe also help uh, deal with some of their, their gait issues? So, again, a lot of really cool devices. Um, Again, even one of the assistive devices we're looking at is a, a sort of a wearable airbag technology. So again, it's it may not prevent you from falling, but if you are going to fall, it could be helpful in, in sort of preventing injury from that fall. So so again, it's, uh, super exciting. But but and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the the work you're doing because I said before you're you're actually one of the the people we're going to be working with through this program and and really excited by that. So you want to talk talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing? Sure. Um, I'm really excited. Um, our lab is um, a lab we work on, on gait and balance interventions for people with Parkinson's, and we're excited because um, there is um, a new device that just came out. Um, Honda, the Honda company is the one that manufactures this, and it's a device called the Honda Walking Assist Device, in which um, it's a wearable robotic exoskeleton. So the person can put this on around their waist and they put it on their thigh. And um, it is very lightweight. It's really easy to put on and off. Um, and when the person is wearing it, then they can turn it on. It can be set to parameters that are best, that, you know, best uh, help the person with Parkinson's. And um, so what it does is when a person tries to take a step, and if the step is a very small step, uh, what it does then is a motor will actually, within this exoskeleton, will actually kind of kick in and help the person to take a bigger step. So what we're hoping is then uh, that this will allow people with Parkinson's who are having those shorter shuffling steps or maybe freezing of gait, it will basically help them then to uh, take bigger steps and that way they can walk using a more normal type of gait pattern and over time, we're hoping then that, that if they practice with this assistive device on and they're walking in a more normal pattern, it will have an effect on their brain so that 
when they're not using the device that um, they may have improved gait. So we're planning on um, testing this. Uh, we are recruiting people. We, we are in the Columbus, Ohio uh, region, so this would have to be people that live within this uh, central Ohio region um, because we're going to actually be going into people's homes um, and uh, administering a physical therapist then will administer the intervention using this device in people's homes. And it'll basically be them practicing things, doing things around their home, and also out perhaps in their community. Great, great. That sounds exciting. Now, is this something that would be, you know, I, I guess could be worn under clothes, or you would only really wear it over, the, over your clothes while you're sort of exercising, as you say, or how, how would it sort of work in real real life? Yeah, it would be over. I mean, if you were wearing like a really big shirt, you could kind of have it, you know, on top mm -hmm. of the, yeah, but it's worn over like a pair of pants a person has on. Right. Um, right. It, um, but yeah, you could probably hide it to some extent, although it does attach to the um, upper leg, and right. so people would probably be able to see that. So, you you know, it can't be completely hidden. Um, right. But it's not, you know, cosmetically not appealing. Right, right. And Israel? Uh, I was going to say, mm -hmm. um, in this specific instance, I think even though there is a bit of bulk within the 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 um, protocol that you're going to use, I don't think people would mind using it because if it's a training device, and, and if I remember correctly, it's not, it just prompts the person to start the walk. It, it doesn't, it's not a robotic, you know, you, you have to, it pushing your, your legs or it's, it's, uh, I, I'm, I look forward to seeing what, what, what comes out of this because um, as I said, it, it, a little bit of bulk, is not, yeah. not a bad thing, especially if it's going to help people. And and I don't think people would mind wearing it in public. Right. And you know, it's it's this is what I'm what I'm I'm working on. Israel, like, you're like right. Um, it it doesn't it it only just kind of helps a person. So and it's pretty gentle in the way that it assists the person, so it doesn't knock them over. Um, and so yeah, it it. It hopefully um, it won't kick in unless the person really needs it. Is is how it works, and uh, so we do think that um, there has been trials in it in Parkinson's before, um, and it has been beneficial. So we're hoping that this will be the first time that we really look at a larger number of people and see if if indeed we do get some. Um, you know, promising results with it. Israel, the, your your name sort of lighting up the question boards right now. A lot of people were sort of interested. Uh -oh. I think you made a comment before about um, you know sort of uh -oh. your excitement around some of the wearable type of approaches, and and I'm curious again if, if you want to maybe sort of touch on that further. And 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 are are you utilizing any types of wearable approaches to help address this issue, or or is there anything that you're sort of again, you know, most excited about in this space? I'm I'm not uh, currently using anything, but I, I what has interested me are the wearables on on the feet um, that you could actually use with a regular shoe. 
of this device that Ann has uh, talked about is one that intrigued me because of the fact that although it's a it's an external wearable has a, a bit of bulk it does allow for people to continue functioning as best as they can so um without um i'm, I'm going to say the the excitement in the ability to have some of these wearables um cross the whole gamut of people with Parkinson's is exciting because what we're looking at, is it feasible? Is it, uh, is it affordable for people? And uh, in the back of my mind, as we were reviewing grants, a lot of it was, okay, so as a patient, what are we looking at? And, and some of the parameters were, we want some of these devices to be on available to the patient population within two years. And you, when you're reviewing grants, some of those ideas are, further out than, than what you're, right. you're looking for. They may be good ideas, but some of the great ideas are, are the ones that uh, you say, this has potential for a lot of people. Right, right, right. It's interesting. I think that again, this wearable question, and, and you know, uh, this isn't the topic of the of the um, of the webinar today, but um, the use of wearables, not necessarily always as treatment, but as sort of tracking and measuring devices. And, and I think one of the things you, you're alluding to, uh, uh, Israel, from the from the review program from last year is a number of projects we got where they were initially needing to use wearable approaches to measure gait and balance and posture in people with Parkinson's because we still don't really have a good knowledge of the different factors and the, sort of the different things we can measure that might predict someone who is maybe about to fall or about to freeze or something like that. And by having more knowledge of that sort of measurement piece of the equation, you could then um, develop better technologies that could sort of detect that you are about to freeze or again, or you, you are about to fall and then sort of presumably trigger a mechanism, whether it's a cueing device or something else uh, to let you know that's about to happen so that you can try to prevent it from happening. And so I think that for me, sort of, I think you're right. We, we try to focus in this program on some of the earlier, on some of the, st the ideas that were maybe a little bit closer to application, but I think there was some really exciting work, even just that was maybe a few years um, sort of um, um, longer horizon that you know was looking at this sort of more use of wearables to detect um, um, these particular symptoms, and so that's an area that you know I know from the Fox Foundation side where we're very interested in. We can we fund it through a variety of other different programs, but it's something I think where we're seeing that sort of convergence of technology um, today of these different wearable devices and sort of the, the computing power we have to actually analyze the data coming from those devices to actually try to you know make meaningful predictions about um, these symptoms in people and, and then using that information to to guide some of the treatment. So so I think we're, we're really seeing kind of some, some exciting work that's happening here. So I'm mindful of time, and I definitely want to get to kind of as many questions as we can. So I'm going to switch us to uh, kind of the, the formal official Q&A period. And uh, the, like I said, the, the question board has been sort of lighting up. So I'm going to do my best to kind of walk through some questions. I may bundle some of these because I think, you know, uh, a number of people 
are asking probably related questions. And uh, so uh, no offense to, to, to the callers. I'll, I'll probably sort of bundle some of these. But let's kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. And, and I, might, I might ask you to help me with this. Um, there were a number of questions, I guess, where people I think were just wanted some more clarity on, again, the prevalence of these symptoms in Parkinson's. And, you know, do certain people show these? Not everybody. There, you know, is there certain types of Parkinson's disease that are particularly prone to gait and balance issues? You know, and also I think you had mentioned, you know, kind of when these symptoms kind of start to appear. Is it, you know, is it something that only happens later in, in the disease or, you know, can it happen earlier? So I wonder if you could kind of touch on some of those points again. Okay. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a really good question because basically, um, really typically with typical, if you just have your typical type of Parkinson's, the sporadic. Uh, Parkinson's disease, um, you don't expect to have a lot of gait and balance problems in the beginning, but those those will develop, though. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody doesn't have some types of gait or balance problems as the disease progresses and gets more into, like, say, the middle um, or later stages of the disease. So, but in terms of do some people get symptoms earlier in the disease? Yeah, there are there are some individuals that's a more atypical type of course where some people do develop more gait and balance problems earlier. Um, and it's kind of a variant, uh, but that is not the majority of people at all. Most people will not have, have any Gator balance issues until kind of in the middle. I, I was going to say the um, for some people um, there's no tremor involved with with the initial uh, symptoms, but for some, like in my case, I did have the post posture issues that when I was diagnosed, the doctor says you have two of the the four or actually uh, three of the four cardinal symptoms, so I'm going to diagnose you. So it. it it's a very good point that Ann made is although you may not have it initially, more than likely it will come. But right. for some of us who have that issue from the very beginning, um it it can be it, it can be more uh, more uh, worrisome, I guess, in, in so many ways. Right, right, so, but right. but again, it's it's something mm -hmm. that, that we're working yeah. I say we're working on. I mean, people are working on, on making that better for all of us. Right, right. Uh, for, maybe for our callers who, who, who aren't f totally familiar with um, the issue that, that Israel's mentioning, uh, a lot of neurologists sort of um, will tend to sort of categorize their, their, their patients in sort of two buckets. There's sort of the people with Parkinson's who generally present mostly with the tremor dominant, as they say, form where, where, it's, where that tremor sort of symptom is, is particularly noticeable early on. And then there are others who don't really have the tremor, but tend to have more of the posture sort of gait uh, issues early on. And, and we don't know for sure whether these really are two distinct types of Parkinson's disease or whether they're just, you know, sort of, the, you know, somewhat the randomness of, of which symptoms happen to appear first and which individual. Um, but I think it is an interesting point that there are at least some people where maybe some of these gait and balance issues kind of come on maybe a little bit earlier uh, than, than other people. And it's an important conversation, obviously, to, you know, have, I think, with your with your neurologist, with your doctor to kind of understand, are you, you know, is, there, you know, is this an issue that you, you need to sort of deal with, uh, you know, sooner uh, versus later? Uh, 
Um, right. And it's so all going, the more reason to get go going to physical therapy as early as possible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which actually uh, is sort of a, the second question I want to have. This was a, a question from Gloria who um, asked, I think, a pretty straightforward question. How can you stop a fall and should you even try? Um, so if you're, if you're struggling with uh, posture and gait and you start to fall, kind of what's, are there any best approaches to try to reduce potentially harming yourself? And uh, I open up really to both of you uh, on, on what your thoughts might be there. I think awareness of your surroundings, and it's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. But if you have the issues of, of perhaps balance problems, you're going to be more cognizant of where you are, where you're standing. Um, and and that's, that's just a personal thing that people do. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I, tend to lean on the wall so that I don't, I'm not in the middle of the room. So, so certain things holding on to chairs uh, just, just subconsciously many times. And that's, that's, and Ann, I'll just let you take from there. That is definitely true. Being aware of the environment, you know, um, you know, like making sure that, that you're not tripping over things and you know, that the environment's clear, um, is very important in terms of stopping a fall if it happens. Uh, you know, a lot of times I don't think I don't think people can actually do that very well. But of course, you want to fall so that you don't fracture anything if you can. Um, so, you know, trying to kind of avoid like sticking your hand out there, breaking out or landing on your hip um so you break your hip or something um i think that would be better than um if you can if you're able to you know try to kind of cushion the blow um or you know just sink down slowly if you can but um you know, a lot of times I don't think people can really stop it if it's actually happening. But what I would say, though, is if a person is starting to experience falls, that is a good time to go to therapy, physical therapy, um, get an, an evaluation, because basically if you can get on to some, maybe some balance training exercises, um, you may be able to actually improve your balance and prevent yourself from being at high risk of falling. Um, the other thing would be that if if you are really falling a lot and you you know you're afraid you're going to go out and fall, um, uh, you may be a candidate for perhaps using some type of an assistive device. We actually did a study here at Ohio State looking at um, how using different types of assistive devices like canes or different types of walkers, how they affect a person's ability to walk who has Parkinson's. And we found that um, the four-wheeled walker, which is a rollator-type walker, um, was the best type of device. Um, it can help people to uh, walk. Actually, they can walk better. They have more normal kind of gait pattern um, and um, prevent, it can prevent the person from falling um, and allow them to, you know, go out in the community without so much of a fear that they're going to fall. Um, so that would be something I would recommend. And again, the therapist could evaluate the person and decide, okay, uh, 
may, and maybe do a combination. You could do some exercises to try to boost your whatever balance you already have and make it better, or if needed, um, you know, use some type of assistive device. Right. It, I think it's important this the, 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 this concept of fear that you raised and how that can be, you know, really a, an impactful almost symptom in a way of that, you know, can prevent you from doing things that you enjoy. And Israel, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with issues like falling and sort of, you know, those kinds of things, you know, how do you sort of address that sort of fear issue? You know, is it, is it, like you said, using, is it using these devices? Is it, you know, doing some other kind of uh, approach that can help you just not feel, be not feel so afraid to go out and walk? I think the the most important thing to, um, to focus on is, um, taking big steps, taking uh, uh, being being confident to the extent that you can, so that when you are finding yourself in those tight spots, you know that there's a difference in what you're doing, and you can overcome some of those things. Uh, for example, small confined spaces for me, I tend to do the shuffle. I go in circles, and so I know that. In tight spaces, I have to be there sometimes in the kitchen, uh, but at the same time, I know that that's not going to be my whole life, my whole day, my whole uh, what, what I experience every time. So it's just being confident in my stepping abilities, which is not easy to do, especially if you do or you have had some falls. It's it's, but but I think the more confident that we are as people with Parkinson's, the better off we'll be in many areas of our lives. Right, right. Um, and we're, we're getting a number of questions that people have on the different maybe types of physical therapy approaches or, you know, are there particular, I don't know, exercises or, again, you know, training approaches that that uh, you feel seem to work better with certain certain individuals or even some people are asking about you know, doing boxing and things like that. Is, is there anything that feels sort of feels like it can help with these issues? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And there's quite a bit of evidence that's emerging. Um, I would say of in terms of gait, the best intervention that's been shown with evidence is treadmill walking, treadmill training. Um, and basically, it's been shown, you know, to really help with increasing walking speed and step length. So um, that's something that I highly recommend um, for people that have gait disorders. And basically, when you talk about the exercises, um, we know that the effects of the exercises are kind of specific to the type of of tasks that you're doing. So if you want to get better at gait, you have to practice doing walking. Um, and as Israel was saying, for instance, uh, the, the main thing that we try to tell people is when you're walking, try to, try to take big steps. You, you, you want to try to counteract these small shuffling steps and, and take big steps. And by taking big steps, it actually makes you walk faster too. So right. that's, that's a big thing. Um, but other types of interventions, um, like dance, is there's evidence that dance can help. They've done studies with tango dancing, ballroom dancing, uh, salsa, Irish 
offset dancing. And dancing seems to be good for balance primarily because you have a lot of stepping in different directions. You um, have to shift your weight from one leg to another. Um, and it seems to have a really um, good effect on uh, dance and also a smaller effect on, on walking as well. Um, tai Chi. And probably mood. Is, probably fun oh, to yeah. do too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And particularly what they, they um, with uh, dancing, they looked at tango either with a partner or without a partner. And they found that it's equally beneficial either way. But the people who had a partner were saying that they really enjoyed it a lot more and that um, they were more willing to continue doing it. So it's kind of, you know, up to the person, but um, you can do it either way and get a benefit. Tai Chi is another area. There's um, definitely evidence that it will help with balance and gait in people with Parkinson's. Um, again, that's a thing where you can see with Tai Chi, these are they're nice, smooth types of uh, rhythmic movements, and there's a lot of um, weight shifting, like from one leg to another, and that can really help with um, balance. Mm-hmm. Um, Another exercise that's pretty easy for people to do is cycling on a stationary bike. Um, it also, you can think of, if you think of it, cycling, you know, there's a lot of rhythmical movements of the legs that are very similar to walking. And so it has been shown to have um, beneficial effects on walking. Um, there's even some people that have um, done experiments where they set the bike to actually um, uh, revolve at a speed that was higher than the speed the person with Parkinson could actually do on their own. And that that kind of that intense kind of exercise on the cycling um, was more, did have definitely very um, positive effects on gait and uh, mobility after the intervention. So that's another thing uh, that that could be done. There are, as you mentioned, um, some other things like boxing, yoga. Um, There is also this LSVT big um, type of exercise. These are all programs that you could do perhaps in the community with group exercise classes. Um, the evidence isn't as great in terms of their ability to improve balance and gait, but um, certainly people are reporting that. We have these types of exercise classes in our community, and people that I talk to that with Parkinson's who've gone to these classes do report that they're they're getting benefits from it. So mm-hmm. there's just okay. a really there's many different things out there that that could help. And I think it's really kind of the person needs to find what type of exercise do they really enjoy um, doing out of, yeah. out of these choices. Of us. Yeah. yeah, because the, the, the key is that you have to keep doing it. <laughs> if you quit doing the exercise, you won't get any benefit. Israel, can I flip it to you? Any, any uh, advice on the exercise front? Is this something that, that, uh, that, that you try to do? It's more... Uh, for me, it's more the active uh, lifestyle, uh, especially being able to work 
full time and and I uh, I'm still working full time as a school teacher and I'm itinerant to five campuses so I'm always on the go and working with my students and and moving from campus to campus and at the end of the day I'm worn out but I think that that kind of helps that activity level uh, but if it I uh, I don't do high impact exercise it's and it's mostly walking for me uh and if it if it is it's it's on a treadmill so um uh and and, and of course it's it's different for everyone but just staying active i think makes a world of difference for all of us great great well i think on that note that was a great advice i think to end the call on um uh, thank you everyone you know for joining us today i hope hope you learned something uh, new today uh and a r- really big thank you to uh, uh, both ann and israel for for sharing your expertise and your views uh, on the call today really really valuable thanks again so much and uh, we look forward to, to to having you join us next time this is michael j fox thanks for listening to this podcast Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.